money, your taxes, your truck, and your road to success in the trucking industry. This is Trucking Business and Beyond, the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in your pocket. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking. We'll take your calls and answer your questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, taxes, technology, health and fitness on the road, getting started as an owner-operator, finding freight, working with brokers, getting your authority, you name it, we'll talk about it. All you have to do is pick up the phone and call. We're going to get to those calls in just a little bit. Today's a special day. I've got a special guest with me. Joining me today, and some of you will uh, recognize, I've got Bob Oldfather with me. He's half of the duo that created Monkey Brittle. Go Monkey Brittle. Go Monkey Brittle. There you go. That, uh, so, but that's not all that Bob has done, obviously. So I, I wanted Bob to join me today, and we're going to talk a little bit about business and Life and electric vehicles and monkey brittle. Who knows what we might talk about. So, Bob, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. A beautiful day here in Cascade Locks. It's a beautiful day here in the gorge. We actually see some blue sky. Yeah. I didn't barely recognize it, but it is. That is blue. That is up there, yeah. (laughs) So, tell us about your background. Tell us about the the company you started and how you got started. Well, um I have a chain of book and musical instrument stores uh, in Arizona, and I kind of fell into it. Um, I was uh, 25, and I was building houses, and I had this idea that, well, I kind of grew up for 25 years. I think I'll go work really hard for 25 years and see if I can goof off for the last 25. That was, my, that was my plan. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of worked out. And uh, so I went back to Tucson where I was from, and my dad had started a little used bookstore, a little one. Just uh, He bought a bunch of books at an auction and didn't know what to do with them, and a friend had a little space, and so he started selling used books. And I just went to visit him. I didn't know what else to do. I hadn't seen him in a few years. And uh, I was there working with him, and we didn't even have a cash registry. I had a cash box, and I noticed at the end of the day, he'd take the cash out of the box and put it in his pocket. I went, wow, this is, this <laughs> I like is, this. I like this business. <laughs> and uh, I thought I was going to be a mechanical engineer, but I hung out with him for about a year, and then one day he told me, he says, Tucson is way too big for me. This is 40 years ago, right? Yeah. And I wanted to move to Sierra Vista, of all places, which is a bend in the road. And he said, I'll say this bookstore for a dollar. And and, uh, so suddenly the next day I uh, owned a bookstore. Wow. But it really worked out well for me because I never thought of being in retail. I never thought of having a bookstore. I wasn't the kid that hung out in the library and said, someday I'll have my own bookstore. Right. No, it wasn't that at all. I was just suddenly, here you are, kid. (laughs) Yeah. Now, were you a big reader then at least? Yes. I was always a big reader. I'm, I'm one of those people that just reads voraciously. And of course, now with online, there's an unlimited amount of information. And I kind of use that to figure out where things are going. Yeah. And the bookstores were like that. Since I didn't have a preconceived motion, all right, I'm going to make a book. And I got to hang out here all <laughs> That's the, right. you know, 12 hours a day, seven days a week. I'm going to make a bookstore that is a place that I want to hang out. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I love stories of how business gets started. 
And you for know, a, a lot of times, if for a dollar, <laughs> you know, for a lot of times, you think, well, the, this person had this big giant vision and dream, and most of the time, that's not true. Yeah, exactly. And, and here's a case where. Your dad bought some books at an auction. Exactly. And then, okay, now what do I do with them? And, and starts a business that was obviously up and running. Yes, it was. And, and sold it to you. Now, you grew it quite a bit. Quite a bit, yes. Tell uh, us about that. Well, I again, I was there, and, and I just wanted a cool place to hang out. So I began laying out the store that way. Like, oh, let's make it comfortable. Let's have lots of chairs. Let's... Even back then, let's have a nice bathroom so that people could use yeah. it and stick around longer. And then we began to add products because it was just used paperbacks mostly when I got it. And we had a customer come in one time who had been a regular, and he told me that his stereo had been stolen. And he says, that's it. I'm done. And he says, do you know anybody that would like to buy my record? And these were records at the time, my record collection. And uh, I said, yeah, I can. He said, well, I want $300, which at the time was a fortune. I said, well, can I pay you $30 uh, every other week? <laughs> and he says, sure. And he brought them all in, and suddenly we were in the record business. Oh, wow. And once we were in the record business, oh, well, let's get some 45s. And, oh, somebody's got an old turntable. Maybe we'll sell it. And we began to, over the years, continually adding product lines like that. In fact, uh, one day in a box of books, there was an old Atari 2600. I don't know how many people out there remember it. You could put a cartridge in and it would play these low-res games. Right, right. And it was in the bottom there. And I said, what's that? And he said, oh, it doesn't work. I said, I'll give you a dollar and trade for it. <laughs> Took it home, fixed it, put it out, and it sold and it. Oh, and then I put up a sign in the window. We want your old Ataris. <laughs> and, and I let the customers mostly tell us what it was we wanted to we should be selling wow and continue to wow so the atari story reminds me um i was still in the military i was here in the northwest so it had to be early 80s pcs weren't really here yet you know atari i don't remember exactly when they came out but my first computer and a friend had bought some pieces and parts and couldn't get it to work and I went to Radio Shack and added a couple things, and it was literally, you connected it to your TV right. for the screen. Mm -hmm. It was a, a cassette recorder that mm -hmm. ran the software. Yes, absolutely. And then you had the processor, so you had to wire all this stuff together, and there were no graphics whatsoever. This was text-based only, mm -hmm. and it was games, like the, the only game I had. And this is back, we don't even know what computers do. Mm -hmm. I mean, you don't even have any idea so i put this thing all together and i get it to actually come on on the screen and i get the game started and all it says is you're standing in front of a door oh like, oh oh well this is dumb and it, it's I it's like these. a role-playing yes, game so yes. you have to start asking questions mm -hmm. like look under the mat or right. walk forward walk, that's, yeah that's right yeah open the door right yeah. i remember those i spent so many hours playing that game <laughs> it was crazy so that was my first computer. Yeah, it's, um, it's amazing where we are now. And uh, I was reading about, I'm looking at my iPhone now, and how many things this iPhone has replaced. Alarm clocks, pho uh, phones, obviously. Um, Camera. Cameras. And, and GPS. Uh, calendars. Music. And, 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 yeah, and calendars. All in one little thing that you used to have all over your house. Yeah. Now it's carried. Yeah. So we just, over the years, kept adding things, added video games, added electronics, um, 
And we used to have, we always do nice displays. Like in the kitchen area, we would have old toasters with books in there instead of uh, yeah. pieces of bread and things. And people kept asking me, can I buy that display? And for so long, I don't know what I was thinking. I'd say, no, that's our display. And finally I got, yeah, buy the display. Yeah, they, you want to buy if it? If they want to buy something, sell uh, it. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And that became a whole other profit center, little things, yeah. ch- tchotchkes that, and display items. Everything's mostly for sale in the store. Oh, yeah. Including me. Which is, is kind of become a trend in some places yes. now. Like uh, one of the hotel chains. I haven't stayed in hotels for a long time since the coach. But one of the hotel chains, right after they did their big remodel, they had new beds and new like little laptop desks and pillows. And you could buy everything that mm-hmm. was in the room. Was I think it was at the Westin. They had the heavenly beds. Or I something. think a, a bunch of started... Yeah. Doing that same kind of idea, yeah. Like and so, if you want to buy it, I, I can make a profit. I can, yeah. That's what business bet. is all about, right? <laughs> that's it. Giving the customer what they want. And it's exactly giving. And I've always said that if all the customers wanted was paperback fiction, that's all I'd sell. That's all you'd have. I'm not here to convince people what they should buy, right, or sell to us. Since we're still 98 percent used, we acquire stuff from people too, and. They often teach us, oh, no, you want this. Yeah. this is, I do? Yeah. Yeah, you, do. <laughs> yeah, you, know, and, and that, you know, that was such a great way to build that business. Let the customer point the way and tell you what they want. And I've studied a ton of businesses, and I get that lesson. Mm-hmm. This is one of the toughest businesses I've run. Yeah. Had, the customers will tell you what they want. But it, it's really challenging. They'll either tell me what they want or what they don't want. Mm-hmm. Like I had a, a post on Facebook late last night saying, stop talking about the Tesla truck. It's never going to happen. Or I'll get people that say, you should talk about this. Mm-hmm. Well, in a store, you can bring in whatever you want. Right. With limited amount of airtime, I have to be very picky about what I talk about, what I don't talk about. And honestly, if I listened... To the listeners too closely, I'd never know what to talk about. That's it. So it, it's a little more challenging in this business. I've had, you know, customer-driven businesses where clearly you want to know what your customer wants, what they need. Here, I almost have to decide what do they need. Yes. You know, what do they need? We have a very limited amount of airtime. What's the most valuable thing I can bring to them? Knowing that I'm chasing somebody off. That doesn't want to hear that. That's right. Business is business is interesting. There's the music. We're going to get to a break. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rutherford. We'll be right back.
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. I'm Bob Oldfather. There you go. <laughs> the website is Let'sTruck.com. Check it out. So, Bob, how long have you been in business now then? 40 years. 40 years. Since I was two. No. <laughs> <laughs> 40 years. So, I think uh, it's 32 years for me now. And, you know, the one thing I've noticed about business, one thing, you, I mean... Think of everything you've learned about business. Indeed. Isn't it mind-boggling how much information and how many things you've learned about being in business over the years? Absolutely. And uh, again, we're going back to the customers. And I want to say something about your last comment. What you are selling is your opinion of what you want to say. And that's why people tune into you or Fred or Bill or whoever they decide to. We're paying for the fact that you're curating what we're hearing. You know, that's a good point because why would somebody tune in if all I'm going to tell them is things they already know? That's right. What would be the point? Exactly. So, you know, I'm like you. I'm a voracious reader. I average about two books a week typically, and I've done that most of my life. So thousands and thousands of books. And like you said, now with the Internet and there's just so much knowledge available. You know, it takes up most of my day, just just reading and staying on top of things. So what are some of the, the really important lessons you've learned about business? Well, we already discussed about listening to the customer. And when you're listening to the customer, it's not necessarily, oh, I think you should sell this. It's what are they looking for, really? They think they might be looking for a certain subject or a certain, uh, they're complaining about how the shelves are stocked or something like that. But really what they're complaining about is the lighting. They just don't know they're complaining about the lighting because it's dark in there and they think the shelf aisles need to be wider. So you always have to kind of step back and see what is the feeling that they're looking for or the feeling I'm trying to create or what is the the real problem, not necessarily what appears to be the problem. You know, you and I both read a lot. We study business a lot. We've talked about companies like Apple and Tesla and Steve Jobs and you know, oh, Elon Musk. Elon <laughs> Musk. And, you know, it, it, we were talking this morning about how it, it's amazing that one person really can be a company, no matter how big that company gets. And Steve Jobs was Apple, in my opinion. Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't know that Apple will ever be the same. I think it's one of the things, and I noticed this about my own company. I'm an entrepreneur. I like talking. I like being in front of the TV. And I was the personality of my company. And then I'm mostly retired and moved here to the Gorge. And I had surrounded myself with people that could execute my ideas because mm-hmm. I'm an idea guy and then I need other people that are actually competent to, <laughs> I can do them to, right? to, to can make the trains run on time yeah. so when that person isn't there it, the, me in this case or Steve Jobs or someday Elon Musk or something the people that are have risen to the top were actually there to balance the idea person and sometimes the things get much more rigid or less entrepreneurial. And that may be appropriate for a company that's past its entrepreneurial stage. I look at Apple, and I've always been an Apple fanboy, I guess, is um, they're maximizing dollars. There's no doubt they have a couple hundred billion in cash or something. Whoever heard of that? Yeah. But as far as passion, 
they don't incite the passion they used to. And it's like, okay, we'll make a little bit better and charge a little more. But it isn't like, wow, I got to have this. Yeah, yeah. And that's really, and like you said, maybe they're now a mature, stable company and, you know, they'll keep doing what they do. They still make good products. I I don't think we're going to see the kind of innovation we've seen from them. But you know one of the things I think Steve Jobs was famous for, and we just talked about this, of course you listen to your customers, you ask them what they want, but some of the most amazing businesses have been people that don't bother asking the customer because they realize you don't know what you want. Right. I do. And he, I think Steve Jobs, heard what they were saying, like, oh, and he knew it was a pain to carry your music around and things like that. And they said, wow, if we could only have you know, miniature records or who knows what <laughs> right. people were saying. And right. they went, oh, what you're really saying exactly. is you want this. It's yeah. an interpreter, right? Again. Yeah. They, the consumer didn't have the vision to know what they wanted to solve a problem. But if you listen to the consumer's problem, mm-hmm. then a visionary can come up with a new way of solving that problem. And problems that they didn't even know they had. Exactly. exactly. And I think that's what Steve Jobs was just Mm-hmm. amazing at absolutely and um you had so how how big did did the chain become well um we have seven stores that are big 20 30,000 square foot stores and about 300 employees that's still that's and a, in the in the used book we're still in the book business and still here which is pretty amazing because that's a business that has changed dramatically yeah yeah it, we're facing that in trucking now Absolutely. We're facing this huge disruption in trucking. I, I was trying to remember, and you may know this, I can't remember the date, had to be mid to late 90s maybe when I bought the first ebook that came out on the market, mm-hmm. which doesn't exist anymore. That, that one didn't even make it a year, I don't think, no. and it was gone. But that was the start. I mean, you had to start to think about that back then. Well, definitely. And Really, the early 2000s is when I realized like, that, oh, the book business is never going to be the same or the music business and things are going to change radically. And um, that's the other part of business is if you can, whatever way, either you've got somebody you work with that's good at taking in data like you and I and processing, I could see where things were going. And I knew one day we wouldn't be able to sell CDs like anymore. CDs, nobody wants them. So we went into musical instruments. Before we ran out of CDs, while we were still making money with yeah. CDs, we went into musical instruments, which, of course, required whole different kinds of employees and yeah. shells and, and information. But if we hadn't, it's a very big part of our business now, we'd probably be out of business. So along the way, as uh, Atari dropped off and we went into <laughs> other kinds of video games or we added tchotchkes, We've tried to diversify, like, where's our income coming from? And just to kind of pay attention, like, wow, look at this. Uh, people are getting computers, and they can read books online, and they can buy books, and they can read it in Kindles. Well, it wasn't Kindle yet. But, yeah. And uh, changes come. Changes come like you're talking about the trucking industry. These things are, and I'm probably this will be the hot button right here. Yeah. Automation's coming. Yeah, there's, it is. There's it, no doubt. Right. There is no doubt. In you can look at things, and as a business person, you can con- generally control the price of your inter- your inventory. You can control your rent costs. You can control uh, utilities, so forth. Labor is the big 
difficult thing to control. People work for you a long time. They want to raise. Yeah. Who can blame them? I'd want one. Um, but there are things that either come from regulations. Okay, you've got to uh, give sick days. You've got to do this. can only drive so many hours. Um, labor is like herding cats. Yeah. <laughs> and so already, if you look, we've done things to if you go to farming, for example. used to take a lot of bodies to farm. Yeah. Now it takes a couple of big machines. Yeah. And that's the direction of minimizing your labor costs. That's what companies will do because that's the biggest unknown. And this automation technology is coming for sure. And it's not just in trucking. It's going to come, especially in urban areas, where people are going to say, well, wait a second. I can get an automated Uber, which is going to cost less because you don't have a driver. Again, the the labor component. And I don't have to own a car. I don't have to pay for its insurance. I don't have to pay to park it. I don't have to try to park it. Um, Wow, I can just live here in the city and hit my (laughs) phone and somebody's going to pick me up and drop me off. And that's going to be a a radical sociological change, and it's coming for sure. You know, I I was shocked. Um, I I was always the guy when I traveled, had to have a rental car. I'm very auto-dependent. I have been my whole life. I'm addicted. (laughs) I want the car. I want to be in control. And just in the last year or two, I started using Lyft. I mm-hmm. started with Uber, deleted them for, you know, my listeners know why. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't support a company that's working that hard to put my customers out of business. Right. I don't blame them. Mm-hmm. I, that's what they should do. That's their business model. They're achieving it. Who am I to say that's a bad thing? Mm-hmm. But it is a bad thing for my customers. I mean, I don't want my customers to go away. Uh, but we have to face reality. But I was shocked. My thought was, okay, how many of these guys could be running around in these cars? I'm going to open up this app somewhere, and there's not going to be a car anywhere near me. Never happens. No. Never. I mean, they are, like, right there. And they've – Uber is now the largest taxi company in the world. And up until just recently, they didn't own any cars. Mm Mm-hmm. They're the largest tax. Airbnb is now the largest hotel chain in the world. Is that right? And they don't own any properties. <laughs> well, it's the sharing economy. It, yeah. And, and it's just, and this is the reality. Things, if you look and you say this is coming, you can stick your head in the sand or you can go, how do I make money on this, this disruptive technology? That's my biggest challenge right now. When I talk about this, I've had death threats. Because I talk about autonomous trucks or electric trucks or change or technology and people, it's fear. You know, it comes across as anger. They call me names. They make death threats. But it's just fear. They're afraid of this change. And I get it. But you got to get out in front of it. And that's what I'm trying to help people do. Get out in front of this and find where the opportunities are. Absolutely. All right. We've got to get to a break. We will be right back with more stuff. Stick around. Kevin Ruffin.
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. I'm here with Bob Oldfather. Bob, there's so much we could talk about. You know, we're talking about business and change, and you have all kinds of business experience. You and I have been spending a lot of time talking about electric vehicles. You've got a very long history with electric vehicles. I definitely do. Uh, Bookman's was, I believe, the first place anywhere to have free electric car charging at our stores, which we started in the early 90s. Wow. And then we, uh, we got a couple of the EV1s, the famous GM cars. Yeah. They did that movie, Who Killed the Electric Car, about. <laughs> yeah. And we put in a free charging station for them. And we've continued to have charging stations at all our stores ever <laughs> since. And then I became a collector of antique electric cars which a lot of people don't know, electric cars were actually dominant before gasoline cars in the early 1900s. That's interesting. Well, the the carriage manufacturers would take the horses off, stuff an electric motor and a battery in them, and go down the road. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so I still have, in fact, I'm on the board of directors of the first electric car museum. So here's a little pitch. If any of your drivers get near Kingman, Arizona, on Route 66, we have a little electric car museum there that we started. And Ah. the city of Kingman has been so kind to share space with us for free. You know, I have uh, an idea that that's going to become much more popular soon Mm -hmm. because, you know, electric has always been kind of just out there. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it was horribly inefficient. I mean, and it wasn't so much the motors, it was the batteries. Mm-hmm. We just don't have a good way of storing, you know, and, and that, that battery technology is changing pretty rapidly now. But look at all the different versions of batteries we've been through. And we were on lead acid. I mean, the EV1 had lead acid, the yeah. first one of them, and then nickel metal hydride. And, of course, now lith- they never had even lithium. Right. And lithium's getting better, and you read every day, lithium air, this battery, yeah. that there's now an interest. And I think, coming all the way around to Tesla, yeah, I've really watched him. I think his whole point isn't to be a car company. If he does, it isn't to be the company that sends everybody to space. His, his point is to force others to come on board. Yeah. And he has. If you look, when he started, no, elec- no car companies were working seriously about electric at right. all. And now right. all of them are because it was cool. Yeah. Oh. I want to be cool. I can't afford a Tesla, so I'll buy this Ford or whatever it is because I want to be cool, too. And he's sharp about that. Yeah. You know, so we're looking at that now in trucking, which is pretty surprising because – but I've always said follow the money. Mm -hmm. And if electric cars can become more efficient than internal combustion engines, which were were there, I think. Yes. We're at the very beginning of it, but we're there. And Tesla has proven that. Mm -hmm. They've put a really impressive vehicle, a couple of them now, on the road. Do you realize they are the best-selling vehicle in eight of the most expensive zip codes in the country? Is that right? Number one-selling vehicle in eight zip codes. Obviously, they're expensive. Consumer Reports, remember, rated it as the best car they ever rated. The best car. And yeah. I think there's an, an another thing going on there, too, that people don't think of. And I was looking at the new X gun. There are no scheduled maintenances. Never. Yeah. No scheduled maintenance. I mean, obviously, there's brakes and tires. Yeah. And things, things will break, wear out, but there's but nothing on a schedule. No services. Oil changes, drain your fluids, and do it. There just aren't any. Yeah. 
How much that's, time and money is that a savings, especially when it comes to your listeners? Yeah. Uh, you know, this, these trucks that are going to go hundreds of thousands of miles without doing anything except yeah. replacing the stuff that wears out. Uh, he made the outrageous claim that it won't break down for a million miles. I know. That's, that's a pretty outrageous claim. Yeah. That, that's and, and <laughs> you know, I, I've been talking about this a lot. I've been posting a lot about it. And there's a lot of skepticism. Absolutely. And I, I think a lot of the skeptics haven't been paying attention to what he has accomplished. Mm-hmm. What they look at is, like right now on the Model 3, is way behind on production capacity. Yes. Well, isn't that really a good sign? <laughs> I mean, in some ways, it's, it's, he can't keep up with demand. Man. Yeah. Yeah, but they'll look at that and say, well, he promised this and he couldn't come through. And he's, he, he does do that a lot. Yes. But it's because he makes wild goals he sets you know outrageous goals you think about come on how's he gonna do that well i've always said set outrageous goals Mm -hmm. if you fall short who cares right don't look at it as a failure exactly do you know something about outrageous goals i just read just read (laughs) an article about this it says most people don't believe they can accomplish something amazing most, all of us, all of us are, they, his quote was, there's plenty of things in our environment and around us that want to drag us down to second street versus first. But he said, interestingly, everybody's trying to be in second place. There's a huge amount of competition, but <laughs> to be in first place, there's not much competition at all. He says, so try to be the best, the most creative. Well, yeah, you're going to fall on your face numerous times. But there's not nearly as much competition for first place as there is for second. That's a good point. It, and, you know, he... Tesla is certainly out there. They're they're doing things that nobody else has done. Nobody else even talked about. Reusable rocket ships. NASA couldn't even do it. Yeah, exactly. And how many decades Mm -hmm. have we invested into that? And, you know, to to look at what he has accomplished. And then even at first I thought, isn't it a little early to be getting into trucks? I mean, you haven't been building cars all that long. That's a big leap. But, again, follow the money. Mm Mm-hmm. If we can save some money in electric cars, what are we going to save in electric trucks? In vehicles that spend $40,000 a year on fuel. Mm -hmm. And maintenance. And maintenance on top of that. And when you look at how he could change that, Mm -hmm. you can see why a lot of money could flood into this market. We we also have Nikola. Mm Mm-hmm. That name makes me a little crazy. I wish they would have picked anything but that. Um, but they've got really ambitious goals of building a hydrogen electric truck. The yeah. problem I have with them, and I'm impressed, they just have no proof of concept. No. They, they've never put a vehicle on the road. Well, isn't Cummings working on an electric... Uh... Cummings has an electric truck, unfortunately. And, and again, this is where I think Tesla is just so impressive. I know what you're going to say here. Tesla built a truck from the ground up to be an electric truck. Mm-hmm. And lots of things can change once you know it's going to be electric. Right. Cummins, unfortunately, took a production truck and they're going to convert it to electric. But they're doing it. They're doing it. Where right? it's happening. A few years ago, they, they wouldn't even think about exactly. it. Exactly. We, we've got our diesel. It's all set. It works. We've figured it all out. Why would yeah. we bother? But now, it, this... 
this shining thing. Like, well, wait a second. Uh, we better be on board here. Exactly. This is where yeah. the companies. And, and I think part of the reason they had to kind of retrofit this truck is they are behind the curve. Mm-hmm. They weren't thinking this way. They were diesel engine manufacturers. Why would they want to build something, an electric truck with no engine? Mm-hmm. They, they build engines. That's what they do. But I, I think they're also smart enough to realize the tide is turning. Yes. I, internal combustion engines are not going to be our primary source in the future. Yeah. No. And un, and for good and ill, there's going to be a lot of sociological and economic changes from that. The economic changes of saving money and less pollution and, and less accidents. On the other hand, most automotive and uh, truck dealerships make their money from service, not from selling the vehicle. Right. So the service departments, not instantly. And the other thing is, someday, it's not next year, maybe it's five years, eight years, the value of used internal combustion vehicles is going to start declining yeah. much quicker than we thought. Yeah, and that's a good point. Because, well, why get that one? I can lease this one and save all that money. And Yeah. Yeah, yeah Tesla's big advantage when you look at the design of their truck, one of our biggest challenges in trucking is aerodynamics. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been studying fuel economy in trucks for 25 years, and it's frustrating that the shape of the vehicle, which is so important, is dictated by two big things. One of them is the truck that needs this big, heavy drivetrain that needs lots of airflow. Mm-hmm. Diesel engines need a tremendous amount of air to run right. right. So now we have to build a big front end to fit this engine. We have to have lots of uh, open radiator space for it. that kills aerodynamics. But you don't have any choice. The next place is the trailer. Mm-hmm. It's got to fit freight. It has to fit standard freight on pallets, and mm-hmm. so you're really restricted, and yet somehow, because he knew it was electric, we don't have the drivetrain, he can build a totally different shape, which he did, mm-hmm. put the driver right in the center of it. Right. There's some crazy stuff going on, but I, I, I've seen a lot of people question this number. I question this number. As well you he, should. Question he, all the numbers. He right? claims a lower drag coefficient than, what was it, a Bugatti? Or something like that. Yeah. Some supercar, and he's a couple points lower on the drag coefficient? Well, it remains to be seen, but the guy's done some amazing stuff. I got to say that. Yeah. He lands rocket ships on trucks out in the middle of the ocean. Yeah. <laughs> that really? <laughs> <laughs> all right. We're going to get to a break. We've got one more segment. We're going to get to a couple calls and questions right after this. Stick around. Kevin Rothenberg. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The website is Let's Truck.com. We're down to the final segment. 
We're going to get to a couple phone calls before we've got out of got to get out of here. Before we do, Bob, I, I got to bring up one more thing. So we're running out of time already. Okay. You and I could talk all day about this stuff, but uh, you and your lovely bride, Amy Sue, have created a phenomenon: monkey brittle. Monkey brittle. Go monkey brittle. That stuff is just. It, I, we set a record. We've set lots of records, but this past weekend. The batch lasted 53 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, um, Amy has that website, nouveauraw.com, and teaches people how to eat healthy and create these dishes. And that is another example, like sticky notes. One day she calls me and said, Bob, come in here and look at these this thing that I made. And it was this monkey brittle crispy stuff. And I said, how did you do that? And she said, I'm not really <laughs> sure what I did. I think I did this, that, and the other. And we checked it out. And sure enough, it was this funny way of, of making it that makes it the texture and taste that it is. And she says, all right, I'm going to put that up on my website. And I said, oh, no. No, you're not. This is too cool. <laughs> you knew you were on to something. I knew I was on to something. Again. Because she has hundreds or thousands yeah, of recipes on like the website. 1,600 recipes. I was going to say, there's a lot. And hundreds more techniques, too, of how yeah. to do this, how to do that, how to learn to... Well, that's how we met, obviously, that's right. because that's right. Lisa wouldn't leave us alone because <laughs> we, we want your monkey brittle, and we yeah. had other customers. And it's uh, her whole site is about helping people eat a better diet and not have to be. It's not shrill, like oh, you've got to be raw or you got to be vegan. Right. No, it's just right. shop on the outside of the grocery store, there learn to go. eat a little healthier, and here's some tricks to make it delicious. It's not just carrot sticks, exactly. Yeah, it's monkey hey, and, brittle, <laughs> and and there's a real health reason for eating quite a bit of your diet raw. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons a lot of people believe we evolved as humans was because we were able to eat both raw and cooked food. Exactly. And it, raw keeps the enzymes alive, keeps all the nutrients alive. Cooked food actually opens up new nutrients that weren't available before. And so density too. You it, can eat a lot more. You that's can eat right. a whole head of kale if you it, cook it. it. There you go. Another good point. So. Finding that balance of, you, you know, raw food. But most people don't have a clue how to make raw food taste good. Yeah, exactly. And, and Amy's site is just amazing. So I'm, I've hitched my wagon to that star. You can yeah, be yeah. sure. <laughs> NouveauRaw.com. Right. Great, great website. So what do you say we get to a couple calls, see let's, what people want to talk it. about? See if I get any death threats. There you go. Let's, <laughs> uh, if you keep talking about electric trucks, you just might. I might. I've had a few of them. Let's go to Washington. Bobby, welcome to the program. Hello. What's on your mind Am I today? Am the first caller? Yeah, you are. I, I, I'm right in and out here on the... Um, I had a couple of things passed away, I guess, um, last... Uh, I mean, um, in May. And there's no retirement. Uh, or, um, I got his retirement, and I put that into a fund. And I emptied his checking account. And all that, and there's no uh, inherited tax, right? But then the, um, um, isn't, isn't there like income tax? People are saying I'm going to have to pay like a lot in taxes. Well, we, when it comes confusing. to taxes and inheritance, it can get pretty complicated. But we have to look at how the money transferred and what it was. Now, the interesting thing we always hear about our estate tax and our inheritance tax the interesting thing is the person receiving the inheritance never pays the tax. It's actually the person or the estate that gave the money that has to pay the tax, if there is any. So you receiving an inheritance, 
doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be taxed. Most of the time, you won't be. You just get the money tax-free. There are some exceptions to that, though. Mm. If the money was in a qualified retirement account and, and the original owner of the account and the money took the tax deductions all those years for a standard retirement account tax-deferred, then when you go to cash that money out, you're going to have to pay the tax on it just like they would have. So there are some exceptions, but for the most part, when you inherit the money, you don't have to pay any tax. Okay. I just stuck it all into retirement stuff, except for when I sold this house, I got it in my savings, and I'm I'm thinking next year would be a good time to buy a truck, but now you're talking about electric trucks. (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah, things uh, are definitely changing now. I've never, I've uh, never just, you know, it's like I'm on the how, really do you, scared to get into owner operator. Do you have a, a good uh, tax preparer? Um, and no, when I say I, when I I've say good, I mean not not like not like an H and R block or a big box kind of place, because that house sale can also cause a tax liability. And that gets a little complicated. What has to happen is you actually have to value the home. You have to go back and figure out what the value of the home was when it was transferred to you and then how much you sold it for later on. And there can be, not always, but there could be some tax consequences from the sale of that home as well. Yeah, I pretty much basically got what the land cost because the house wasn't, wasn't worth burning down, you know. That, then you may be fine, but, but the real, you know, I, I'm just kind of skimming across the surface here, but when there's a, a, an inheritance and there's multiple, there's property, there's cash, there's accounts, it really pays to have a good tax preparer to make sure that all those points are figured out and it's done correctly. Um, as far as being afraid to be an owner-operator, let, let's kind of jump over to that. I, I wouldn't be. In fact, I'm more optimistic about being an owner-operator right now than I have been in the 32 years I've been doing this. Now, if I were in my 20s right now, I might still plan on a a career as a truck driver owner-operator, but I wouldn't plan on it being my only career. I mean, you know, if you're in your 20s, you've still got 40 years And I I don't see this industry looking much like what it looks like now in 40 years from now. But 10 years from now, there's still going to be tons of opportunities for good drivers. And I think right now, the opportunities for owner-operators are better than they've ever been. All except for the electronic logs coming. I figured it'd be a good time to buy a truck. But but hold hold, hold on a second. Dumping their trucks well, it, even if we talk about electronic logs, I, I don't see how that's going to hurt anybody. I, there's all kinds of people claiming yeah. with electronic logs, owner-operators are going to go out of business. Well, here's the thing. Every truck in the country now, with the very, very few exceptions that just don't matter, they're all going to be on those same electronic logs. So it, it's not like anybody yeah, gained like- any advantage in this. I'm used to running them. Well, and that's good. You're used to running them. You already have an advantage then. And this will only drive rates up. I 
I know nobody wants to be tracked. Uh, they don't want to go through this change. I get that. I, yeah, I believe that. But it's happening, and if it's happening, we should look at the advantages. And the advantages are that it has to drive up rates. Bob, this is a, a good um, business topic I want to bring you in on. Sure. Since 1938, truck drivers have been subject to hours of service. Right. You have to keep a logbook. You can only drive so many hours. You have to sleep so many hours. There's a whole bunch of rules about how you do things. You have to take breaks. It's always been that way. Mm-hmm. We also know that everybody cheats on it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's not uncommon. It's, it would, yeah, how, do you, how would you not? Yeah, it, it's, it's been referred to instead of a logbook as a comic book. Because, <laughs> you know, you, yeah. if you keep two or three of them, you can drive as much as you want. Right. And then you throw away the one that isn't going to work after the fact. Mm-hmm. We've always done that. Everybody knows it goes on. The electronic logs are going to stop that for the most part. They're very, very difficult to cheat. It can be done, but not nearly like it was on a paper log. It's going to so, level the playing field. It, absolutely. Right. And it limits supply. Mm-hmm. Because right. if we have a million drivers who all cheat by, let's say it's 20%, they're able to cheat and get 20% more hours out of their week. Good point. Well, now all of a sudden you can't. We've now limited supply. Demand is actually on its way up for a lot of reasons. Isn't that what every business wants? Mm-hmm. A better supply demand curve, and very, that's that's what point. this is doing. Yeah, I thought about. I didn't think about that, but you're right because it's going to be less hours available, it, and it's already using up all the hours that are out there. So definitely going to be a demand for more people to do that. Job. So rates have to go up. Everybody's predicting it. Mm-hmm. So you know, in this case, there are owner operators or new guys that want to get into the business, feeling like, but this is going to kill us. Well, I don't see how. Everybody has to comply with it, and it limits supply, so rates go up. As much as I didn't want any more government intervention into our business, we have to look at the positive side of this. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, regulation can accomplish good things, too, it can. obviously. It, you know, I mean, yeah. I like when not too much junk goes into the air, yes. regulation. But I think you're a very good point. There's going to be more demand. Unfortunately, we're all out of time. That's, but wait, but I wait. have so many more things more. to talk about. We'll have to get you back. <laughs> all right, brother. All right. Thank Thanks you so much. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. We've got to get out of here. We will see you next time. Check out the website. It's letstruck.com. Also, check out nouveauraw.com. Great website. We'll see you next time. Be safe. Be profitable. Fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey. I'm Kevin Robinson. Your money, your taxes, your truck, and your... All right, everybody. Thanks for...